intentional, tactical, and actionable information you can use to take your real estate investing business to the next level. This is REI Rocket Fuel. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the REI Rocket Fuel podcast. Today, we are joined by none other than one, the only, the infamous Tyson Bean. Tyson, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule, being a man about town in the real estate world, to join me today for a short little session here talking about some real estate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Emphasis on the infamous. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks so, for having me, Logan. I've been looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to it longer than you know. Uh, talk to us, talk to me about how you got started, why you got started, how you got started, why did you choose real estate? I guess just give us some background, give the audience some background on you and your journey and what brought you into real estate and what brought you here. Yeah, for me, started about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. I was looking for something that would offer me an opportunity to, or better yet, have my money work hard than I had to work for my money. And I found an, an avenue through real estate, you know, it was in through uh, real estate investing on the front end. And then that turned into a property management company. And then as a derivative of that turned into me getting my real estate license just to help service my clients on a, uh, on a more conventional level. So um, real estate investing first, property management next, and the real estate brokerage third, and uh, still run each of those today. Sweet. So why, so zooming in on your money working harder for you, you know, there's, there's stocks and bonds and mutual funds and, you know, whole lot. I mean, there's, there's a million different things. And now there's even more, you know, with crypto and everything. Why, why, why back then did you choose real estate and why today are you still so heavy in real estate? So for me, it was more of a natural fit. So I, I studied architecture in high school and the, and I, I had done construction, so I was I was pretty hands on. And for me, it felt like a natural fit to get into something that involved houses. Sure, um, found myself to be somewhat handy, so I didn't have to to go out there and source a plumber or you know some of these other trades. I could do that myself and um, really get the value out of that that equity that I was putting into it. Sure, sure. Now that that uh, it was more of a. It, it sounds like it was more of a, you know, you only expect to make money in things that you understand and you understood it. You understood how the pieces go together. You understood how to put the house together, you know, the leasing aspect, the sale aspect, the maintenance aspect, you kind of all encompassed that um, really on your own shoulders in the beginning. Yeah, it was, it really just wasn't a natural fit for me. Sweet. And, and, Sweet. and then, and then, and then, to, to further a question you had asked, you know, starting with that, you know, why continue with that with there being other investment opportunities and avenues? Sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, me, you reach a certain level, you know, I, you know, in, in working shoulder to shoulder with you for years, I see you're constantly inundated with opportunities. There's no, there's no shortage of someone that wants to take you to lunch and wants to, you know, wants to tell you about this cool new thing and you see something online or you hear about it. You just being in that, in that, that world, there's no shortage of opportunities that come your way. How do you decide what to take and how do you decide to stay so disciplined into what you do? Or do you feel like you stay disciplined? Maybe that's just a bold assumption. I, I feel like I'm a conservative investor. You know, I, I 
I don't think the investment opportunities that I I'm involved in are risky. My wife would say otherwise. Uh, sure. But 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 I know real estate. I'm comfortable with real estate. It's served me well over these last several years. Um, I have diversified a little bit, but just more as experimental, if you will. Sure. Uh, but other than that, I think having something tangible such as real estate for me, being able to drive down the street and seeing uh, the project or the process or, you know, collecting the rent, you know, that's, that's something that's very tangible for me. Sure. No, and I get that. I mean, obviously I've, I've, I've not been in it for 20 years and I don't have as many opportunities thrown at me all the time that we don't source ourselves. We have no, no shortage of opportunities, but we're sourcing those and they're 99.9% all predominantly based in residential real estate. So mm-hmm. that's a really, really, really narrow niche for us. Um, I really don't have really anything else outside of real estate that's, you know, substantial or even worth talking about, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, t- to that point, uh, you know, it, experimenting and going outside for me, it's like taking money out of the ATM and going to the casino. It's like, this is just lost. What happens happens. If it hits, it hits. Uh, but with, with respect to real estate, I can understand, you know, the, the, the tangibility, the, the knowledge of it, you know, the level of comfort after the proof of concept to others, to lenders, to, you know, contractors and, you know, to yourself as the one that's on the hook for everything you feel, I feel confident in taking on an insane amount of debt and hoping to take on more debt to buy more real estate. And I will sleep like a baby at night with millions of dollars in debt because I know I made a sound decision. I understand the the operational aspect behind real estate. And I'm just small scale compared to your holdings and your investment. So I have to imagine that you share the same sentiment or you would have way bigger bags under your eyes than you do now. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and yeah, it's definitely the, uh, you know, leveraging, leveraging your risk, OPM, you know, we talked about other people's money. Um, so I don't, I don't think you can get to a level of scalability without being able to borrow against some sort of line of credit. Um, you know, it's just, doing it wisely, having that money make you money. Uh, yeah. Because there's bad debt, there's good debt. And in real estate, you know, I, I would say that most of that is good debt. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's been my biggest um, thing, you know, uh, as, as opportunities come my way, you know, I don't see another avenue where I can leverage as strong and as much and as I can in real estate and, you know, that leverage and OPM only allows you to scale quicker. So just Mm -hmm. zooming in and saying it a different way of what you just said. Exactly. That's, you know, from a beginner's perspective of mine, that's always been what I've looked about it is like, I could go put this money into the stock market and I may have made more. I may have lost it all. Like, you know, it just really depends on the week and I have no control of it. Yeah, I own this much shares of XYZ company. It doesn't mean anything. I'm not voting in the boardroom. I'm not tangibly, actively making operational decisions like I can in real estate. So I can understand the, you know, the leverage of your finances and the leverage of your time. 
um, I, I don't find a better fit for me personally than real estate. Yeah. Well, and just like being able to go and find an asset in real estate, you couldn't get a lender to lend you on shares of stock. Yeah. And you're not going, you know, so you have to be 100% of your own cash into that. That is not going to, you know, or potentially is going to throw off distributions. But if you could borrow from a bank to buy a real estate asset that is in turn going to cash flow. So now you're making money on somebody else's money. You just couldn't do that with stock. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, like when when someone asks me like oh like, why don't you have stocks because I'm around a lot of younger people early twenties that are like why aren't you in crypto why aren't you in this you know there's there's you know apps like Robinhood and Webull and stuff like that online mm-hmm. have have just kind of leveled that playing field for people of my generation to you know kind of dabble in stocks and you know mutual funds and you know other hybrid type investments like that. And um, the other day, uh, someone asked me about it and I told them that if you go to Bank of America right now, they will not give you a loan to buy Bank of America stock. You can't get a loan to buy stock in the bank that's giving you the loan, but they'll give you a loan to buy real estate seven days a week. They have no issue with that. And that's a really easy and clear kind of whimsical picture to paint for people that are like, oh, I guess that. You know, I guess that's a good point. That's the easiest way for me that I've been able to explain leverage and other people's money to people uh, that are newer or on the fence about real estate or should I do stocks or this? Like, should I day trade? Should I buy crypto? Uh, I mean, ideally, the answer is all of it because you want to be diversified. But it, it, in the beginning, you have a, and until you're Tyson B, you have a limited amount of capital. Uh, so, you've got to figure out the best avenue for that until you reach a level where you have unlimited gap. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Very well uh, said. Thank you. What's the biggest, uh, circling back to more you focus your journey. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned in the last 20 some odd years investing in real estate? Uh, so I was, I was reflecting on my portfolio of assets here a couple of weeks ago, and I noticed that a lot of the acquisitions that I had made had been in that 09, 10, and 11 timeframe, sure. um, you know, where I was buying one or two a year prior to, I think I may have bought 10 or 12 those years. Sure. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's some sort of forecasting in the future for us real estate investors that if that cycle occurs again, that there's going to be more opportunities. Um, I would say the only thing that I wished I would have done differently is, is acquired more. Sure. You know, that, that would be the only thing is you, you have to establish those lines of credits, those relationships with the lenders on the front end and not wait for the opportunity to present itself. Because once the opportunities present itself and you don't have your, your ducks in a row and everything lined up, then somebody else who has all of that teed up, is going to be the one that's going to take down that opportunity. Right. And that's, I mean, that's when people are always like, oh, you know, I, you know, people got lucky back in, you know, nine, 10 and 11, you know, they bought houses for penny on the dollar. I'm like, regardless of the market shape that it's in, you still have to operate your business and put yourself in a position to take advantage of those opportunities. So people are like, oh, the people that don't run a tight ship now, or it, it's like when you start making more money, people are like, 
when I start making more money, I'll start saving. Like I don't have enough money to save now. When I start making more, I'll just start to save. You're not just gonna inherently just flip a switch and be like, okay, now I'm good at saving money because I make more money. In fact, the opposite. You're gonna start spending it just as fast as it comes in. And I've been guilty of that. Um, yeah. It's it if you don't if if you don't take the time to put your business, I say your business, whether you have a hundred people or it's just you, you as an operator, if you're not taking the time to put yourself in a position to put your ducks in a row, to network with lenders and, you know, get your financial statements over and get everything teed up, ready to go for when opportunities arise, you can strike quickly and know that you can sign these contracts with full confidence. You're going to close because you did the legwork. You've got all the infrastructure built behind the scenes. You're ready to roll. If if you're not doing that now, people, you're you would have you would have not done it 10, 12 years ago when you're like people got lucky. No, those the the people that did prepared themselves to take advantage of the opportunities that were coming. The same people are going to do it now. The same people that wouldn't have done it back then or didn't do it back then aren't going to do it now. Right. Yep. And it's 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 paralysis by analysis, uh, to an extent, I think. I mean, there's people yeah. that you know they didn't. They didn't want to buy six months ago, you know, that rental property, they didn't want to buy the flip because they were like, I'm going to wait for the market to go down and then I'm going to buy it cheap. And now that it has started to correct and there's more opportunities, they're like, oh, I'm going to wait for it to get a little lower. Like, I'm going to buy it just the right time. I'm going to buy the dip. Like, I I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or Jimmy Buffett. You don't (laughs) know. No one knows the day, the time, the hour. That that was the good, that that was perfect. You can't, right. but you can't retroactively go back and buy the house. So, I mean, you with 20 some odd years of experience, I've talked to people that have been doing it for 40 years, 50 years, 10 years. I'm, every single person I've talked to, the sentiment is the same. The only regret is that I wish I had started sooner and bought more. And yeah. that's, that's, that's kind of been the, the, the siren song for me for years, you know, when I started as an agent, it was, okay, I want to talk to other top producing agents. What are they doing? And I would talk about the business and how they're getting leads and how they're doing this and how they're running open houses. And inevitably the conversation would always circle in the end to a lot. And I'm 60 years old. I've been an agent for 40 years and I own three houses. And I, you know, one of them was my wife's aunt died and we inherited it. The other one was a buddy that I helped out. Like they didn't actively pursue real estate investments all along the way. And they're looking back on a 40 year career and they're still sitting open houses on Sundays, showing houses on Saturday mornings. And they, they, like a seven, eight, 10 people all told me separately the same thing. I wish I had bought, I spent my entire career helping other people build wealth in real estate and didn't do it for myself all along the way. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's like being a financial planner and not planning yeah. your own finances. Like we, we yeah. have access to the information We're you know, we're realtors. We help other people pursue their dreams, you know, whether it's buying their one lifelong home or the opportunity of, of acquiring investment property. Um, we have access to that and we need to take advantage of it and execute. Well said. So we're talking about the biggest lesson that you learned. Tell us about the biggest mistake that you think you've made or 
a big. You're, I mean, I know it's kind of on the spot to look back on 25 other than, years. Other ago. than hiring you. Other than hiring me seven years ago, yes. What's the now, that was you as an agent? What's the biggest mistake you've made as an investor? As an investor, um, I don't want to say partnerships are tricky, uh, but they can very well be be tricky. Um, they are, you know, sometimes advantageous, sometimes not. Um, I've been in several partnerships and, you know, a lot of them thankfully have worked out. Sure. Um, so I, I would just say, you know, choose your partner carefully. Yeah. And that's been a common theme. I mean, there's, you know, it's, there's no real agenda on the show. It's not very strict here. It's, you know, it's, but it's guided. You no, know, there's a, there's a cadence and a rhyme and reason. And I always ask, you know, the biggest mistake, the biggest lesson that you learn questions that they get just unveiled and can lead into so much and multiple of the guests that we've had have said be wary of partnerships it <laughs> can seem awesome and it seems like one plus one equals ten but a lot of times one plus one equals zero and you know for every one partnership that works out there were nine that should have never even happened uh, but you know for whatever reason they did at the time uh, so no that's that's uh Without divulging details, I would never ask, of course, um, what do you think stands to make a partnership mutually beneficial and long lasting? What what separates the ones that work from the ones that should have never even happened? I think, you know, to your one plus one equals 10 is, is a good analogy. You have to have two people that have similar interests that each bring something unique to the partnership. If you've got two people who are both hands-on and want to swing hammers, then you're going to have to find somebody out of you two or somebody, a third that's going to do the books or vice versa. So um, I, I would say you need different skill sets, but moving in the same direction to accomplish the same goal. And, you know, hopefully you've got a little bit of history on the person, know them personally. Um, ethically, you know, outside of, you know, whatever business relationships you have. I think that's, you know, that would be a start of a, of a decent recipe. Yeah. Yeah. I think designating, designating clear roles from the very beginning has been the downfall of partnerships that I've had just in my short career so far, but I've also been the, the upside and the main benefit, uh, and the reason that the other ones have worked out so well, like you don't like everybody at the beginning of a partnership is woo ha gung ho. This is going to be awesome. Let's go make our millions. And you start in New York. And if you start in New York and one of you thinks you're just going to Chicago and that's the journey, the other one's trying to get to LA, it's going to be really, really awesome. Then you're going to get to Chicago. And then one of you is going to be like, whoa, 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 we're, we're good. We're stopping. The other one's going to want to keep going. And that's that, you know, you have to define beginning with the end in mind and defining those rules in the beginning only lives to serve everybody better all along the way. And if you can't get past that, if you can't nail that down in the beginning, you cut your ties, cut your losses and move on because that's a recipe for disaster when you get to Chicago. 
If you're listening to this show, you're probably a real estate investor. You could be on the fence about getting into the game, just starting out, or looking to take your existing business to the next level. And with all the different information out there, it can be hard to know where to start and who to trust. And that's exactly why my team and I created REI Rocket Fuel, a coaching company for real estate investors built by real estate investors. And it puts our decade of experience and over $100 million in transactions to work for you. Whether you want to learn to flip, wholesale, or buy rentals, we'll cover everything from getting off the ground, growth roadblocks along the way, and we'll provide expert insight into scalable strategies for your business. Visit our website to set up a call with our team today at www.reirocketfuel.com. So zooming in more on your business particularly, what what kind of properties are you buying? Why are you buying that kind of properties? Is that different than what you've done in years past? Why is it different? If it is, do you see something coming? Do you like a different asset class? Just talk to us about where your business is right now, where it sits, what your holdings look like, and then where is it going? So 20 years ago, when I started acquiring real estate, they may have been kind of a BC, you know, lower level, something that I could force the equity and the appreciation over time. Um, over the last couple of years with the pandemic, interest rates, supply and demand, I've actually switched my model into more of a flipping model. Um, so acquiring more flips only because the market right now will support that. Um, and the investment properties that I would have bought or would be interested in, the prices on those are, are inflated. So it's that balance of kind of sitting on the sidelines, but still being in the industry and still you know generating a source of income and, and helping others along the way. It's a pivot. Yeah, it's, it's a, it absolutely a pivot. And, and that's what makes all, real estate so great. Yeah, I mean, it's all still in residential. It's all still yeah. the same neighborhoods. It's the same house you would have bought to keep as a rental. Your exit right. strategy is just different because your acquisition price on it is a little higher than it would be to make sense to keep it as a rental. You might as well capitalize on the state of the market and the what was six months ago, historically record low interest rates and get them sold to first-time buyers. Yeah, and that's what Absolutely. makes real estate so great. Yeah, because you can pivot and your exit strategy can be completely different. Like you run a real estate business that's completely independent and different from mine. Yeah. And we can both be successful and never compete in those industries. And sometimes we've even served each other. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, that's really what, what makes real estate unique. That's my, that's my favorite thing about it is the different exit strategies. Uh, and like second, second place being the leverage first place, being, if I want to keep it, I can. If I want to sell it, if I want to wholesale it, if I want to set, if I want to Airbnb it, I can rent to own it. I can subject to. There's so many avenues. There's not one right way to make money in real estate. It's what works for you based on your expectations of your return on your capital, your time, your energy, your effort, your risk, all of that factored in. It's it's really. I almost said you can't lose. You can. I have. Everyone has. It's really, really, really hard to lose. Something catastrophic has to happen or a contractor has to steal $80,000 from you or a partner has to F you over on the back end. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. The, the, there's, so, there's so much that can go right passively 
you have to actively try or something has to actively happen for you to mess up owning a piece of real estate. Yeah. So everyone that's on the show, all the guests that we have, you know, they're, they're, you know, strategically picked you know, for different perspectives, a different, uh, different avenues in the same real estate sphere, industry, investors, agents, appraisers, lenders, all kinds of walks, but all tied back into real estate. The one thing that every, that all of them have in common other than real estate is that they're, uh, they've reached a significant level of success. They're doing very well in their business. They have done well. They've ramped up. They've scaled. They've reached a point in their business where other people want to hear from them. People want to learn from someone like that who has 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 reached the mountaintop, so to speak. Uh, what makes you great? Why do you think you've been able to go over the last 20 years from zero to X amount of doors that you have, and X amount of uh, you know, passive income that you have now and the ancillary businesses that you've built off of that, what, what makes you so great? Why, why did you do it? And so many others did. Yeah, I, don't, I, I appreciate you saying I'm great. I don't, I don't think I'm great. I think I've just been able to withstand several storms. And the way I've been able to, to withstand those storms is just because of the diversification of of the industries within real estate, you know, the property management piece, the investment piece, the uh, buying and selling for conventional homeowners, um, you know, because not all of those necessarily are firing on all cylinders at all times. Sure. And when one is lacking, I've got the others to kind of pick each other up. You know, when, when inventory levels in the real estate sales market are down, you know, people are renting, you know, and those, sure. those prices are increasing and vice versa. Um, so I think just being able to diversify within that is what's allowed me to withstand many storms, um, you know, back to uh, the mortgage demise back in 08, 09. Uh, I wasn't impacted, even though those were my first years in real estate, because I was acquiring investment property through that period. So sure. I, I didn't even know that this world of, of lending and real estate was crumbling around me, you know, because I just had my head down and was acquiring investment property. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's been several different cyclones of, of, uh, of things that have happened since then within each of those different industries. But I think just having that, that tripod is, has really helped. Sure. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you won't say it. I did. I mean, that's what makes you great. So many others would have gone too deep or too narrow or been too dependent on one right out of the gate and would have waited down the road to diversify after they had, you know, passive capital to put into it. Because a lot of people think the only way to diversify is with a capital investment, not with a time investment or an energy or an effort investment or a building a business investment to have other avenues. They think, okay, I'm going to make all this money in this one business or this one line of business, which you've essentially done. It's not like you went and started a bakery and a restaurant and you were buying rentals. It was all self-serving. It was all to feed each other. It was all residential real estate all the time in one form or fashion, it, agent, property management, investing for yourself. A lot of people would have just tried to make hay while the sunshine and tried to do it all in one business. 
and would have had to pivot in a very different way at the same time when you said, just, okay, I'm still going to be buying rentals. This doesn't really impact me. They would have had to pivot and change their entire model as an agent, whether they would have had to go and become an REO agent and you know start working with banks if they were just an agent at the time and the world's melting around them. If they don't have another option, they've got to either stop in their tracks and start building an investment mm-hmm. business, like we talked about earlier in the show, where you got to put yourself in the position to see those things coming that when they do, you can execute on them and move on them very quickly. They would have had to stop in their tracks and do what you've been doing for two, five, 10 years at that time. And, you know, that's an insurmountable gap uh, in a, in, in a time of opportunity. So that to me, uh, I think one of the things that has made, you and others, you know, that have executed over the course of two decades or more in the same line of business and has and have seen market shifts and market changes and, you know, different demand for different things in the marketplace. And you've seen the trends come and go and neighborhoods rise and fall and have been able to withstand and kind of play real life monopoly, move things around as needed to best serve your business. And I think that's what makes you and a a handful of other guests we've had on the show really, really savvy investors and great business people. Thank you. Of course. Do you see any of your strategies changing in the next six to 12 to 18 months? Where are you going? What do you see coming? And why are you making those changes? If internally, yeah, internally, I think with each business, we're still trying to define and fine tune processes and systems, just making everything a lot more economical, uh, a lot more efficient. So that's that's really what what we're working on internally within each of the businesses Um, as an investor, um, you know, kind of piecing these out as an investor, I would say, you know, looking at different opportunities. I like the multifamily or at least trying to get things that are maybe in the same footprint of area, um, things that I haven't done in the past. You know, if if it was a good one-off property individually, it made sense, then I would acquire it. Um, So now just trying to find different opportunities within similar areas. um, Of where you already own. Potentially, Mm. potentially, yeah. Or or new areas. Mm, Gotcha. Um, and then uh, real estate sales wise, similarly, yeah, just, uh, you know, defining those processes, uh, reverse engineering things, you know, making sure that the outcome we want is, is what we want for all parties. Sure. Uh, and the property management, you know, I've spent a lot of time on getting that that pretty fine tuned. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen behind the curtain of the, of the um, property management company for years and it, it, it's a machine. There's a reason that, when I bought my first door, I self-managing never even crossed my mind. I saw what property management looked like behind the scenes every day. And I ran as far away as possible <laughs> from tenants and toilets. So talk to me, talk to the audience here, talk to our listeners. Why on earth did you start property management company? Uh, for, for me, it was, you know, I was servicing myself. As, sure. uh, as a real estate investor, 
And as a new agent, not really having any income other than my own investment properties, um, that was another source of income for me was that property management piece. Sure. And I was handy enough. So I was, you know, I was the leasing agent. I was the maintenance guy. I was the showing, I, I was all of those things, but I was compensated for it. And then that, you know, lent itself to feeling a void that, you know, like yourself, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very thankless job mm-hmm. and it's, there's not a lot of people that want to do that because you have to get into a very high volume before it really makes sense for economically to, to make any money. Sure. Um, so just, just filling that, that void, that niche and doing things that other people did not want to do. Sure. And, and I didn't mind it, you know, cause it was, it was a transaction. It was all about a transaction for me and, and helping others. So was it hot? Then I know that I, I, I know that your perspective and the answer on it has probably changed over the years. Maybe it hasn't. Was was it ever something you were building to sell? Was it ever something that you were building to say, okay, at some point I'm going to have enough money as an agent from these clients I'm servicing that I'm not going to have to do this anymore? Or like, I guess was it a means to an end, or was it something you always saw yourself building and scaling? And owning and operating, like, um, did you just have a did you have a passion for owning and operating a property management company? I'd, I'd say the latter. Yeah, I, I never really? thought that I would get to a certain level and be like, okay, I've I've got it here to now this property management company is marketable for sale. Let's go ahead and pitch it. Um, so that that's you know I I can't say never, uh, sure. but I can't say you know I can't say not now. I mean, it's it's nothing that I've considered. But when you were when you started it 20 years ago, you're like, okay, I can do this for a couple of years until I get my feet off, feet off the ground as an agent and start making money on commissions where, you know, I just made 30 grand last month selling houses, but I'm still dicking around with tenants and toilets on the side. Like where, where was the trade-off? Where was that? Like, was it always something you said, okay, I can't wait to build this up start hiring someone to do it? Or was it like, God, I can't wait to stop being a property manager? No, I, th- I think for me, it was it was building it up to a point to where it was scalable because I can't be, you know, I, I would literally be going to show houses to clients that are interested in buying a home after I just got done doing plumbing or electrical sure. at, at a renovation. Um, you know, so I mean, it wasn't uncommon. I'd have to cut out of there, maybe go home and shower, depending on the client, right. go show the house. You know, so that wasn't the best use of my time. So getting the property management company to a level to where it could afford to pay employees was really the goal. Um, and now day to day, it it runs and operates mostly without me. Um, so it's it's got, you know, it's got great, great employees. I see it. I mean, I see it all the time. It's a, it's an impressive thing to behold. It is quite the business that you built. Uh, and I, I mean, from the outside looking in at it, I can respect it as an owner that you guys service and manage properties for. I can respect it from two completely different perspectives. I see it behind the scenes with you and just being around the people and the staff all the time because they've been there from the beginning. And then now over the last couple of years, seeing the other side of it as an owner, it's like, damn, this thing just hums and it runs. And yeah. Uh, I've, 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 I've always been impressed with what you've built at Wichita Reynolds. It, it's, 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 it's a machine. 
Yeah. Yeah. We've got, we've got, yeah. Great, great owners, great vendors and, and great employees. Absolutely. So what's your, uh, in closing here, cause I, we need to let you go. What's, what's your best piece of advice for a new investor? They just got started. Maybe they're looking for their first deal. They've bought their first one or two. They're kind of dipping their toe in, but they're doing it. They've, they've taken the leap. They're doing it. What's your best piece of advice to him or her? My best piece of advice would be to have a goal in mind or a vision, some sort of trajectory, you know, is the goal to get one or two? Is that what satisfies your financial means or are you wanting to scale that up? And then within that question, you know, if you scale it up, what does it look like for you personally and professionally? Because once you get to a level of inventory, a lot as you've experienced that you don't want to be a property manager, um, you know, there's there's things that you're going to have to sacrifice is sacrificing some of the cash flow for a professional property management company to take over so you can have peace of mind and, you know, nighttime sleep and, and weekends at the lake. Um, those are things that, that you need to consider. You know, what is the goal? You bought one or two properties now, but what are you willing to give up later? Is it your time? Is it your money? Or is yeah. it enough? Yeah. And I mean, and to that point, any of our students or anyone that's just asked me, you know, think about you know, getting started with rentals. Did you self-manage? Why didn't you? Like, I think I'm going to do it. Like, yeah, you know, 10%. That's great. I'm like, dude, you got a $900 a month rental. If $90 a month is the make or break on that deal, run. Do not buy that house. Do not do that. If you're running your numbers and the only way it makes sense is for you to self-manage, please, God, run. No, do not buy it. You are a leaky faucet and an HVAC issue away from losing money for an entire year. Yep. If you're talking about $90 a month being the difference. Yeah, so, they, they say if you can't afford the uh, the property management, you can't afford the investment. No doubt. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Like if you think it's if you think it's expensive to hire an amateur or um, to hire a professional, hire an amateur. Yeah. But I also say this, that for you to appreciate property management and what property managers do, you need to get out there and see what it's like showing the properties weekends yep. and evenings. Uh, taking the phone calls when something happens, uh, trying to get a hold of a tenant who's unresponsive when rents due. Uh, those are all the things that you're going to be faced with as a new investor slash landlord, that sure. property management. So if it's $900 rental, you know, they would have done all that for the $90. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it's 90 bucks. Yeah. I mean, no skin off I mean, you, the deal. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting just the, uh, but, but it also has to work out economically for, for each individual investor. And sure. if, if the only way you can make it work is to do it yourself and you're going to give up your day job to do this full time, then by all means, you know, that works for, for, for some people. Right. All right. So switching gears a little bit, final question. What's your best piece of advice for someone on the fence? We just answered the question for the person who, has already made the decision, they've already bought one or they're actively looking, they've made the commitment to do it. What about for the person, the step behind? They're on the fence, do I do it, do I not? What would you tell that person? I would say ultimately do it, but be prepared, have all of your lending or financing in order, ask the right questions. 
Well said. You heard it here first, folks. Ask the right questions. Get your shit together and have your ducks in a row. Tyson, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted uh, that you wanted to, wanted to touch on before we dip out? No, I think this is great, Law, and I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate your time. I know that I know that our listeners will appreciate your insight and years of experience. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, they could call me direct. I'll put your uh, I'll put your number in the show notes. Okay, sounds great. Fantastic, Tyson. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks to anyone who's listening today, and stay tuned for a new episode dropping next month. And Tyson, thanks again. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of REI Rocket Fuel. For even more content, follow us on social media or head over to www.reirocketfuel.com. 